Today's episode of Inside Games is brought to you by Factor. Use our link in the description or go to go.factor75.com and use our code POGINSIDE120 for $120 off. Welcome back to Inside Games, the only gaming news show brave enough to grind Gran Turismo for 20 hours. That's right, Bruce. It's a time-honored tradition. Only in the past, you'd be doing a two-hour endurance race because you had nothing better to do on a Wednesday afternoon but get baked and knock it out. Yeah, now those marathon sessions are required <laughs> since Gran Turismo 7 developer Polyphony Digital has not only implemented one of the grindiest, greediest microtransaction systems in any racing game, but somehow made it even worse since launch with a patch that knocked the single-player game offline for 30 hours. How's everyone <laughs> reacting to that on the internet, Charlotte? Bad! Really, really bad! The game's currently sitting at a 1.5 user score on Metacritic, which is not only the worst user score for the Gran Turismo series, but the worst user score for any PlayStation exclusive game ever. That means Gran Turismo 7, which once represented an austere celebration of automotive culture on PlayStation, now sits alongside Dragon Ball Evolution on the PSP, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 5, and this is my personal favorite, the video game based on director Robert Schwentke's 2013 breakout hit R.I.P.D. Is that Jeff Bridges and Ryan Reynolds? So how did we get here? Not, not at, at the end of 2013's R.I.P.D. We all know how we got there. How do we get here? Can Polyphony turn Gran Turismo 7 around? And will I have to grind for 80 hours just to buy my Weebass A86 Torino? I need that car. Let's dig into the full story and find out. As you may have noticed from the Metacritic score, there's a vast divergence between the journalist-based Metascore and, of course, the user score. Uh, only this time, it's not because journalists are all paid off shills. Now, it's for the very simple reason that microtransactions weren't turned on during the review cycle. And reviewers are not happy about that. I know I wouldn't be. In a recent follow-up post to his review for Goomba Stomp, Patrick Morris writes that, quote, Sony used reviewers to advocate for a product that the company must have full well known would be radically overhauled shortly after release to push aggressive monetization on their customers. Folks in the media expressed similar frustration about a year and a half ago over the curated reviews for Cyberpunk 2077, uh, the review codes for which were only distributed on the PC platform, preventing reviewers from noticing the stability issues and glitches on the last generation consoles. Sneaky indeed, but you know what's more cyberpunk than manipulating review scores for video games, Bruce? Why that's enjoying chef-prepared meals delivered right to your door with our sponsor, Factor. Today's episode of Inside Games is brought to you by Factor, which can save you time and alleviate stress. That's right, no prep, no mess. Factor cuts out stressful meal planning, taking the guesswork out of what to make for breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Factor even offers meals for those looking to follow keto, low calorie, or vegan and vegetarian lifestyles. I pick low calorie. So they gave me a bunch of like chicken breast and vegetable meals, which is perfect. Factor helps you reach your goals. Fitness starts with food and Factor makes it possible to achieve your daily goals through nutritious, purposeful eating. Ingredients with integrity and dietitian approved. And more than 27 meal options each week, there's something for everyone. Meal plans range from 4 to 18 meals per week, and you can add more or reduce the number depending on your specific needs. You can easily modify food preferences and skip a week if needed. If you'd like to try it out, use our link in the description or go to go.factor75.com and use code POGINSIDE120 for $120 off. Once more, that's go.factor75.com. Use code POGINSIDE120 for $120 off. 
Thank you very much for the sponsorship and for the meals, Factor. All right, thank you, Factor. Back to the sad and twisted tale of Gran Turismo 7. Once Sony launched Gran Turismo 7 and scooped up as many positive reviews as they could, the microtransactions hit hard and they hit fast. Just how I like them. Video Games Chronicle pointed out on launch day that equivalent cars in Polyphony's previous game, 2017's Gran Turismo Sport, cost eight times as much and sometimes more in Gran Turismo 7, going from $5 to $40 of equivalent in-game currency. Ooh, baby. Uh, the post also points out that the credits are sold in frustrating denominations because they always are. Uh, most supercars cost 1 million credits in GT7's in-game store, but you can't buy credits in the $1 million chunks. Of course not. You gotta buy the 750k or the 250k pack separately for $15 total, or you have to buy the 2 million credit pack for $20. Uh, not to mention all the upgrades for each individual car, which of course cost credits too. To make matters even worse, yes, they get worse, Gran Turismo 7 also removes the ability to sell old cars for credits. That's like a really important part of the game. And what's weird is that the game's store page still says that you can buy, tune, race, and sell your way through a solo campaign. Instead, you can only throw the cars away. You just discard them, crush them into a cube, and you don't get any credits. You just remove them from your inventory. But, hey, this is the internet, right? People are calm and rational here. Surely all we have to do is give Polyphony Digital some time to see the game in the wild and adjust and patch, and they did, right? Only somehow they made it worse. How did they do that, Charlotte? On March 17th, the Gran Turismo Twitter account posted that the game would be going down for server maintenance to boy patch 1.07. They issued another update an hour later saying that the server maintenance period would be expended with no further information. I get it, sometimes shit happens in this life. We can be flexible. The only problem is this made the game entirely unplayable for everyone, including most single player modes. Hot Asian XXX Kami said it best on Twitter, demanding that Polyphony quote, apologize harder while pointing out the hypocrisy that Sony once smugly celebrated the PS4's ability to play disc-based games offline with the launch of the PlayStation 4. In these uncertain times, we can always look to hot Asian XXX Kami. Polyphony f finally managed to reboot the servers a full 30 hours later, so nobody played the game for 30 hours at launch. Uh, with an apologetic note from Polyphony Digital President Kazunori Yamauchi explaining that the initial 1.07 patch had a rare issue that prevented the game from starting. So rather than push that out, they rushed a 1.08 correctional update. Probably a good thing they caught that. It would be, I guess, bad if they pushed out a patch that prevented people from playing the game. So instead they prevented people from playing the game. Well, whatever, hey, the 1.08 patch is here, the game runs and surely it addressed the microtransactions, right? They made the microtransactions worse. So yeah, Video Games Chronicle compiled a list of the new payouts after the patch. This is via Discord user DDM. So there are two world touring events that have their payouts increased. Although those are the ones that take like multiple hours, right? So they went from 5,000, which is pitiful. Anyway, two went up, which is good. Uh, however, all the rest of them went down by 30% or more, including a few late game races that were used to farm credits. So in response to people saying the grinding's too bad, they made it even worse. Mm. Surprisingly, people did not react very well to uh, having their grinding game knocked offline for 30 hours just to make it more grindy. And then the consumers made their voices heard in the usual way. They review bombed. Hey, that's what everybody does. Now you just review bomb a game if you don't like it. On March 18th, Road Ragers pounded Metacritic's user score section with justifiable complaints, dropping the user score to 4.1 as reported by Eurogamer. Yeah, Yamauchi's official reply doesn't really help much with this either. 
In explaining the rationale for the game's pricing structure, he writes that the car pricing is, quote, an important element that conveys their value and rarity, so I do think it's important for it to be linked with the real-world prices. He goes on to say his ambition is to make GT7 an experience where you can, quote, enjoy a variety of cars lots of different ways, and if possible, would like to avoid a situation where a player must mechanically keep replaying certain events over and over again. The strategy doesn't really add up, uh, obviously. Reducing payouts, jacking up car prices, uh, it's a, just an incredibly strange and funny way of making sure people can play with a variety of cars without repeating the same events over and over, but it feels kind of broken. Yamauchi concludes by asking players to, quote, watch over the growth of Gran Turismo 7 from a somewhat longer term point of view. Which, if you want to be cynical, really just kind of sounds like the game will be good eventually, all right? And it also kind of, it makes me think about EA's infamous sense of pride and accomplishment statement when justifying the grind and locked content in 2017 Star Wars Battlefront 2. What our buddy Yamauchi probably means is that the game is designed for you to play over weeks and months, and that saving up to buy a supercar should feel like a long-term pursuit. If so, that sentiment definitely loses some oomph when you can run mom's credit card and have it right away. Yo, why don't they just add, you know, nice financed loans into this game, like really emulate the feeling of buying a car. Meanwhile, players that can't run up a tab on their girlfriend's boyfriend's PayPal are looking at, they're looking at a lot of driving here if they want a garage full of high-powered cars. Uh, LapBunny7 worked the numbers on Reddit, finding that the fastest current grinding method generates $7.60 worth of in-game credits per hour. They then, half-joking, observe that this means a part-time job <laughs> is actually more efficient than playing the game itself in certain U.S. states. <laughs> the Calling Abyss lands a Reddit bullseye, a rare Reddit bullseye, saying, quote, I want to play the real driving simulator, not the real buying simulator, which is a pretty classy dunk, I think. But yeah, where are we? We're going to do car loans in Gran Turismo now? Going to get worked by a sales dude to buy a tire replacement package? Only to have that tire replacement company go out of business a year later? And then you're fucked. You got to pay it still. So this is all kind of inside the box thinking, though, right, Charlotte? Like... They, they're they don't they're not really thinking outside the box no very very much not they're they're inside the car on this one because you know who needs to play a game when you can teach a computer to do it for you video games chronicle reports that one player user septomore on the psn profiles forum is truly playing video games in the year 3000. By running the game through the PlayStation Remote Play app on a PC, Septomar ran a simple script that sent the same inputs on a loop to the game. This allowed Septomar to run the same race over and over, generating 15 million credits per day. Basically wedging a brick on the accelerator and keeping the wheel turned so it's in a circle. At the time of writing, we can't find any reports that Sony or Polyphony Digital are taking actions against accounts using this method. Even if they did, Septimore wisely observes that, quote, people will just keep coming up with more ways to do it, and the best course is for Polyphony to just increase race payouts. This probably isn't the longer term point of view that Yamauchi asked for, but he should have known better than to ask gamers of all people to slow down a bit. Ooh, yeah, you know, gamers never do that, especially in a, in a car racing game. You can't ask them to slow down in a car racing game. Everybody wants to go fast. Why are you going to put three billion cars in a game and not let people have them like candy? It's it's hard. It's really they're not the same game, but it is kind of hard to not think about Forza Horizon and the way that that game just machine gun fires cars out of a cannon at you. It makes it very easy to think, OK, I'll just do this race in an F-150. Why not? Um, but if I had to grind for 20 hours to get a crappy truck, I'm sorry. If I had to grind for hours to get a American-made bastion of freedom, uh, I certainly wouldn't 
Not yet. They're clearly going for, for different experiences, and I get that, but just the end result. Can't argue with it. Um, I certainly certainly enjoyed a lot more cars in Forza Horizon than I probably would in Gran Turismo 7, which I can finally play because I bought a PlayStation 5 today. So, yeah, I'm feeling good about that one. It only took you, what, all a year and a half to, to get there? Hey, you got there, Dolan. You got there, once. So Gran Turismo has always been the real driving simulator. I, uh, this game is always the, the one that I feel like people likened the most to driving actual races uh not it's not a real driving game so where is the fun line drawn between games simulation real life putting a brick on the accelerator and getting more money in the game where is that line to me it feels a little convenient that you can happen to hide your microtransaction behavior behind the well if you want a nice car in this game you should have to work for it which you should have incentives in place where if you want something cool, you have to work for it. I mean, like whether that be running quests or grinding or like challenging races, I understand that. But like I said, it just feels a little convenient. Like yeah, what, what we're doing may seem bad, but it actually fits very well with the philosophy of the game. And I don't know, it feels like a failure on the game's part and the implementation of these microtransactions. It's just, it's just very like, it feels scummy, not just because they're microtransactions, but to say this is on you because you're not willing to work hard enough for it. To which I say, this is a game. <laughs> it's, it's a video game. We paid money. Yeah, we paid money for it and to have fun. Yeah, it's you've already paid for it. Exactly, Bruce. It's I don't know. That's that kind of stuff sort of makes my skin crawl because it like weirdly like it feels demeaning and condescending to the consumer who is you know, taking part in this purchase. And it's like, well, hold up your end of the deal. Don't just ask for more. It it, it, sh it certainly prompts a lot of deep philosophical questions. I think back to the ten tens of hours I may have spent trying to pass the driving tests on Gran Turismo 4, just like accelerating and braking for an hour, just to stop at exactly the right spot and learn the braking of the car. Uh, it certainly gave me a lot of respect for the physics in the game and the way that different cars handle and how you have to be mindful of the shifting weight in your car. Like, it taught me all that stuff, but I still spent like two hours just trying to get through a license test that may have been arbitrarily hard. So how is that d fundamentally different? Because that was fine and I was okay with that. How is that different than grinding a race over and over just to get the 400,000 credits I need to buy whatever car I want? It's kind of hard for me to, to really say that one is different than the other in the way that Gran Turismo has always been positioned as a car simulator. Uh, I, I guess I guess truly it is the fact that the microtransactions are sitting right next to it. Because it, it, it creates uncomfortable questions. If I were doing that license test in Gran Turismo 4, and then right next to it was a little button where I could pay a dollar just to get my gold pass, that would have felt grimier. So yeah, somehow the fact that they're asking you to participate in this longer vision of Gran Turismo. Meanwhile, there's an option to buy your way to the end right there. That's where it kind of loses some steam and feels a little off. Yeah, I wonder if the if the currency in the game were just cheaper or if they just gave you more of it. Those are two good solutions to make it feel a little less skewed. Forza Horizon, again, not the same game, but a Forza Horizon, they, you just spin a wheel and they just give you cars over and over. Like, it's great, it feels great. And this, uh, Lawrence, having reported on gaming news in the last year now, the, the audience, the consumer has evolved. Like they don't want this anymore. They don't want a game that they're gonna have to grind for months to get to something that they have paid 60 or $70 for. Uh, we're getting to a spot where they need the game to be full at release and it has to work or else that's it. They're gonna review bomb, they're gonna yell on Reddit, they're gonna they're gonna be tweeting, they're gonna, and it's, uh, 
And I don't know that it'll sink this game, but it's certainly not going to help it. Yeah, I agree. I, I think, uh, as with all things, we can we can draw comparisons to Elden Ring. I was just thinking about it. Thinking about ah, ah. I mean, I've been thinking about Elden Ring nearly constantly, but... it's So that's a game with an astounding level of content, but it doesn't just give it all to you. Um, and I, I'm not going for, like, it's better because it locks out content behind skill gates. I'm more saying that people respect the fact there's a lot of content there, and they look forward to enjoying it, sometimes at a, at a protracted pace, like... Because it might take a while to work through. I see people on social media that are still in still in Limgrave and some of the earlier areas in the game, but they're still having fun and finding new stuff. So people are okay with this long-term vision of a game, and they certainly respect the amount of content that they bought, but they have to feel like they're getting it at a healthy pace or at a fair pace compared with how much content's in the game. So I remember similar things with Halo Infinite. It wasn't that there wasn't enough stuff. It just wasn't coming fast enough. Um, and now there's no update, so that's kind of a whole other issue, but... But yeah, people don't mind things getting metered out. They don't mind getting content at a slower pace. It's not like they need it all now. They just need to feel like it's a fair system they're buying into, I think. Absolutely. When microtransactions are right there and you just pay for the, the skill up or whatever, then it doesn't feel like a reward it, because it feels like, well, other people got there faster than me because they had money. So it's like, why, why, what am I doing? Like a lot of the times that just makes me feel like I want to quit entirely when it was the same with Star Wars Battlefront 2 when that came out and that card system was the grindiest thing I ever saw. And I was like, this doesn't make any sense. I don't have 70 hours to throw at this game. So then if I get in there, I'm just going to get my ass kicked over and over by these people that have played it for 70 hours. Um, and so it, it it wasn't that I was like, okay, well, I got to buckle down and grind it. It was more like, I'm just not going to play it. <laughs> that's that's where I, I landed. Yeah, it's off-putting. Speaking of people that are not off-putting, they're on-putting, it turns out. Uh, we got some we got some amazing champions uh, to thank for supporting Inside Games today. Clayton Genger, Regulus, Spirit Bear, and Tony Varela. You all came in first today, and you didn't pay for that microtransaction. That's right, but scoot over. We got some more joining you on that first place podium. Mark Fletcher, Andrew Countryman, Izzy, and Xander. You're all the bravest gamers of them all. Thank you very much for your support. 